Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Wow, I hope that's your desire. Amen. We want Jesus to be everything, don't we? He should be. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning, about surrendering to Him. It is good to be uh, back with you. Let me just say publicly that I appreciate uh, those uh, capable men who uh, stepped up to help me while I was gone. I appreciate Robbie uh, teaching on Wednesday night for me one week, and uh, Tim Bradley preached one week, uh, shared on Wednesday nights, and I appreciate Roger uh, stepping up and doing one Wednesday night for me, and then I appreciate my pastor friend, retired friend, brother in the Lord, dear friend, one of my best friends, David Layton, for uh, preaching for two weeks for me. Uh, the only thing he, he and I taught this week, he said, uh, I just didn't keep him long. I said, oh my word, I'm in trouble. Because <laughs> you know, I do, I preach long, I can't help it. It's just, you know, sometimes you got a lot to say, you just throw it all out there, you know what I'm saying? So uh, anyway, well, it's uh, July, and I am not done with character sketches yet. We've been in the Old Testament. I'm going to go New Testament for the month of July, and then I'm just going to be honest with you. Tim and I have been doing a lot of talking and praying about the fall calendar and some things, and so really uh, in August, I'm just going to be honest, I'm going to hit you pretty hard, okay? Well, we're going to have to hit the ground running. School's going to be getting back, and uh, God's got some uh, challenges for us for the fall. And so the messages coming up uh, in uh, August, I've already got them laid out, uh, going to be pretty tough. Now, it's going to be familiar information, uh, but it's like, you know, David told me he preached on loving God, loving people uh, while I was gone. Great reminder. That's what we're all about, right? That's what Jesus said it all boils down to, right? All the commandments boil down to love God and love people. And uh, if we're going to love God, love people, one of the things it's going to take, and one of the things we're going to be talking about in August, is the word commitment. You know, we've got to, we've got to be committed people, amen? If we want to be a church that reaches level plains and Alabama and around the world, then we're going to have to be committed. And uh, it takes commitment to follow Jesus. And we're going to talk about what that means, about being a disciple who's committed. So we're going to finish up character sketches, and then we're going to jump about commitment. So... Uh, you may be glad one's over, but then you may say, oh, me for another one. So God's really going to hit us hard, I think, uh, as he's been doing me as I've been preparing. And a lot of people say, well, how was your vacation? Well, it was great. It's good to get away and to, to rest, but it's also good because when you get away and rest, God has the opportunity to speak to you. Sometimes you get too busy and all the clutter, God can't speak. And so uh, I was able to spend some time having fun with my darling wife, who I love dearly, who is sick, so pray for her. She's been sick since we've been back, and so uh, continue to pray for her. Uh, but God's been speaking, and so it's just amazing how God will put people in your path. We went to uh, dinner one night, and we ended up sitting at a table with uh, a Christian couple who are school teachers, and then I was in an event one day, and it ended up being the guy I was sitting next to was a pastor from Texas. Uh, so God just has a way of, of keeping you in check, first of all, but also to uh, put people in your life along the journey that you can share Christ with and enjoy fellowship with. 
so it's amazing how God would do that even on a cruise ship. So it's uh, been amazing. But uh, one of the things God really touched my heart about is, though, we, uh, we've got to be about evangelism. You know, we have got to get back to the bare essential of sharing Jesus with people. And uh, Marie and I were so blessed on the cruise to, uh, to share the gospel in many ways with um, crew members, people that were serving us. And uh, so I want you to know that, you know, in our hearts, as, as your pastor, as your leader, uh, I'm stepping up to the game of being more devoted to being an evangelist and preaching and sharing the love of Jesus with other people. And I'm calling you to do the same thing. Uh, because that's what's going to change our nation. We're celebrating July 4th on Wednesday, and aren't you glad to be in a free nation? Uh, I'm so thankful that God allowed me the privilege of being here. But, you know, I was one of the things that, one of the thoughts I had yesterday, or, or excuse me, uh, the other day I was cutting my grass, and one of the thoughts, I always pray when I'm cutting grass and sing. And uh, if you ever drive by and you hear me sing, I have earbuds in my ears, so don't judge my singing, okay? Because uh, you never sing on tune with earbuds in your ears. And I'm going to preach, I promise, I'm going to get there. Um, but you know, I was on my lawnmower and one of the things that really hit me was Steve that, you know, one of the things that we're battling as a, as a nation is our borders and things of that nature. And I got to thinking, God helped me make this parallel. And, and I'm not saying I had a vision. Okay. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but I just had this sort of spiritual understanding that, you know, on the day of Pentecost, there were so many people groups that were there that, that Peter, and I guess cause I'm preaching on Peter today that Peter got to preach to. And I thought, you know, how wonderful it is that we no longer have to send missionaries across the waters, across borders. We have opportunity to share Jesus Christ with nations right here. And I know for some of us that's hard. I realize that. I battle with some of those prejudices sometimes. I I think people ought to come legally and those sorts of things. And I may battle with some of those prejudices. But, you know, the reality is, God is not a prejudiced God. God. God is a God who loves all people. And because God loves all people, I'm called to love all people. And so even though they may come across the borders of America illegally, if I have the opportunity while they're here to implant the gospel, then that's what I'm going to do. Amen? Because isn't that what it's about? It's about the gospel. And the gospel comes before my patriotism. Much as I love America, and I'm, and I'm an American because God, by his sovereign grace, Allow me to be born in the best country in the world. But I have to take that privilege and I have to use it for the kingdom. Just like if God blesses me with a million dollars in the bank, then I ought to use that million dollars for the kingdom. Amen? Because Jesus said, if I lay up my treasures on the earth, then what's going to happen? The moth is going to eat it, the rust is going to corrode it, and the thief is going to come in and take it. I'm preaching now. Are you with me? <laughs> We got to get about the business of evangelism. So Peter, a guy after my own heart, or maybe I'm after his, I don't know. He came first, but I think Peter is a, is a character that all of us in this room could probably identify with. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Peter is that guy who was sort of up and down. You know, he had a, he had a relationship like a hobby horse with Jesus, you know, He's up high, then he's down. He's up high, then he's down. He's up high, then he's down. And even after Jesus, you know, restores him after he denies Jesus and he gets restored after he has a fish breakfast, he has that restoration and he goes and he has Pentecostal moment. But even later, Paul had to say to him to his face, 
Brother, you are being a hypocrite. So even later in his life, he's still battling with up and down, up and down. Can you relate to that? Can, 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 can you say amen to that? Some of us do that, right? We have this up and down thing going on with Jesus. And, and hopefully the, the, the ups are more than the downs, amen? But Peter is having this up and down moments. Well, one of the things we got to remember about Peter is that Peter was not a theologian. Uh, Peter wasn't a priest. He wasn't a Pharisee. You, you got to remember that Peter's background was a rough and gruff fisherman. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink into your minds. All right, Peter worked around a bunch of guys on a fishing boat. Now, just think about that. Let that penetrate your heart a minute. Because I think sometimes when we look at these biblical characters like Peter, we think he was just some super spiritual, some super natural, you know, incarnation of somebody great. And, and we look at them and think, wow, if I could be like Peter, <laughs> well, I am like Peter. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just a, a nobody from New Jersey that God decided to use in ministry. You know, it's, it's just amazing. So Peter is this nobody guy. We would have never known anything about Peter if God didn't call him to be a disciple, a apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. We would know nothing about him. He would be a common everyday guy who went to work every morning or every evening to go fishing. What a job, huh? Well, you'd like that job, wouldn't you? Go fishing every day. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? That's what retirement's about, right, brother? Amen. So, you know, but not until you get some things done, okay? Just want to say that. So anyway, so um, he knows what I'm talking about. So here is Peter, this rough and gruff guy that we, we know this much about, but really, we don't really think about. So for, for example, he was married. Do you know he was married? And he must have loved his mother-in-law because he asked Jesus to heal her and touch her, Right? So, so we know that he's married. We know that he had a brother named Andrew because Andrew first came to know Jesus and then Andrew brings him to, to meet Jesus. Matter of fact, you know when he met Jesus, right? Peter met Jesus the first time in John chapter one, verse 41 and verse 42. Matter of fact, the Bible says in those verses that when Jesus met Peter and Peter met Jesus, the very first thing Jesus did to him is Jesus changed his name. It's in that chapter that for the first time, Peter is called by Jesus, Peter, which the little translator puts out for us in the text that it means rock. Now that's significant because later on, that word rock is going to come up again when he's on one of those high moments. But right, right after the high moments, another low moment, you know what I'm saying? So, so think about Peter being this rock. From the get-go, God changes his name. Jesus changes his name. That is the first time he meets Jesus. Other occasions, he got to observe Jesus. We're, we're told that before he was called officially to be a fisher of men, that he had the opportunity to see Jesus' ministry. And we're going to look today at Luke chapter 5. So begin to find Luke chapter 5. And I want you to think about Peter for a minute observing the life of Jesus because Jesus comes on the scene. You remember Luke is all about details. And so Luke spends a great uh, amount of time giving us the details of the early part of Jesus' life, uh, his birth narrative and all of that. And then he talks about Jesus' temptation. But after Jesus' temptation, when we look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Peter is there and observing the life of Jesus in chapter 4, you find Jesus doing some miracles. The first thing is that Jesus is in church, all right? And in church, the devil shows up, right? Through a guy, a demon shows up in a man. 
And Jesus casts out this demon. Immediately following that in the text, in the narrative, is when Peter's mother-in-law is healed of this fever that she has and she begins to serve. Right behind that, we're told that Jesus began to heal all kinds of various sicknesses and diseases because they were bringing all kinds of people to him. And Jesus had compassion and love. And Jesus began to, to heal all those kinds of diseases and began to minister to those people. And Peter is observing and looking and seeing all that's taking place. Yet there's not really this encounter yet. He knows Jesus because he's met him. But there's really not this fellowship. There's really not this great encounter yet. And so... Jesus is beginning to preach and to teach. And what's happening is, as he's teaching in the end of chapter four, the crowd begins to grow and it's getting bigger and they're pressing in upon him. So Jesus sort of retreats in chapter five. So let's look at the text together and then we'll talk a little bit about Peter in this character sketch. And I want to talk about specifically surrendering our all to Jesus. And we're not going to deal with Peter just once. We're going to have a couple of sermons on Peter. But Peter today, we're going to talk about surrender. Chapter 5, it says, beginning verse 1, And so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. It's the end of the day. It's the time to wash the nets, to mend the nets. It's, it's, it's time to be off the boat. So there's no one on the boat. Notice what Jesus does though. Then he got into one of the boats. Now this is very significant. Don't miss it. Which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitude from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, verse four, he said to Simon. Now just hold your place there. Think about this for a minute. The Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign, right? That is, Jesus knows everything. Even though he was human, he was still God. And so he knew everything. And so does it happen by accident that he jumps on the boat of Simon Peter? No. See, oftentimes we read this text and say, man, we focus in on Jesus and don't miss the point. We ought to always focus on Jesus, but we focus on Jesus at the expense of missing what he's doing with Peter. You know, we talk about this great miracle. He did, but he is having to work in the heart of a man who is a rough, gruff fisherman. He's trying to take something out of this man and put something into him. Think about what he is doing. By his divine plan, he steps onto Simon's boat, not by accident, but by sovereign purpose. Okay? So he goes on to the boat of Simon Peter. And then he tells Simon to do something. And what I want you to see is, first of all, Simon, who is going to be Peter. So Peter is this guy who has this hesitation. And we see the hesitation in him as Jesus is going to begin to talk to him about putting the boat out a little bit and to begin to try to catch some fish. Now, you have to understand, as Peter is there listening to what Jesus is saying, he's hearing the gospel. He's hearing Jesus talking about the kingdom. We don't get all the specifics other than he's preaching about the kingdom. And then here he is now on his boat and he says to him something in verse four, he says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now notice the hesitation, verse five, but Simon answered and said to him, master, we have toiled. That word toil means to labor. We have labored all night and caught nothing, caught nothing. 
Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. He's starting to get it, isn't he? He's starting to have a spiritual awakening, isn't he? He, He's starting to understand that this man named Jesus is more than just a common everyday man. As a matter of fact, he's more than just a carpenter from Galilee. He's got to be more than this guy from this no poor town called Nazareth. He's got to be something more. I've seen him do miracles. I've been listening to him teach. And now he's asking me to do something. Now he's hesitant. And he says to Jesus, we've been doing this all night. We've not caught anything. Now who's the professional fisherman? Peter. But who's the God? (laughs) Jesus. Now think about this. Think about what's taking place. Jesus is moving Peter to the place of belief. Why? Because at this point, he's not fully there yet. He's working his way there. Verse four, he says, I'll do it because you said to do it. I'll do it because it's who you are. But there's gonna be a significant change in the heart of Peter. So it's hesitation. Isn't there times in our life where God may call us to something that we hesitate? You know, there's times when maybe God is calling you to a ministry and this ministry seems, you know, daunting. It seems big, seems hard. And sometimes we begin to hesitate. That's unbelief, isn't it? Let's call it what it is. It's really unbelief, isn't it? And in the life of Peter at this point, we know it's unbelief because I believe his conversion is going to take place in, the, in this text. He's going to really get it right in just a little bit. So Peter is being lured, drawn in by the Spirit of God, by the person of Jesus Christ, to, to a moment I believe is going to be a salvific moment for him. But there's this hesitation in his life, and sometimes there's a hesitation in our life. And we as believers, we even sometimes hesitate. And the thing is, we shouldn't. If God is calling us, why is there hesitation? If he's called us to it, he'll provide for it, Right? He will take care of us. He will minister to the needs that we may have in the midst of being called to something. And sometimes it seems like a very daunting task. Sometimes it seems overwhelming. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. And yet God is calling us to things. And we shouldn't hesitate. See, if we're going to truly surrender, there's no hesitation. There's faith. There's trust. There's action. When he calls, we do. We move. But that's not all we really see about Peter. Because, see, as Peter is moving on, we start to see Peter's faith. Notice in the text, he says in verse 5, And Simon said to him, Master, we have told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Then notice verse 6. And when they had done this, that is the rest of the fishermen and Peter, they caught a great number of fish. Now, if Jesus can take two fish and feed 5,000 or really almost 10,000 people because all they counted was men. They didn't count the women and children. So think about how many people he fed with two fish. Now he's taking nothing and making something. Sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? He knows what he's doing. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. It was so much of a catch. Notice verse seven. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled. Notice what is that? They filled both boats. They caught so much fish. Now remember, they told all night long. 
They worked all night long and caught nothing. Have you ever been there, fishermen? I've been there. I'll be doggone if I've been there. I remember when I was 17, my dad had this grandiose idea that we were going to take our 20-foot boat and we were going to go sleep on the bay and we were going to fish all night long. My word, we caught nothing. Except for greenhead flies. You ever been in New Jersey? You know what a greenhead fly is? They will eat you alive. And uh, that's all we, we caught. I know what it's like to toil and to try to catch fish and catch nothing and be discouraged. Now here, Jesus enables them to catch this so large of a catch that it's filling both boats. And notice what it says about both boats. It says they filled both boats so that they began to... Now we got a problem. Let's hurry and get the the shore. Let's get these fish in because now our boats are so full. Now, Now notice what God is doing. Notice what Jesus has done. Jesus has gotten into Simon's boat. He has commanded Simon. He didn't say to Andrew. He didn't didn't say to James and John, by the way, who were fishing partners with with Peter. He didn't say to them, put the the boat out. No, he, he says to Simon, to Peter, put the boat out a little bit, let's fish. Now they catch all this fish, the boats are sinking. He's been dealing directly with Peter. Have you noticed that? Now, here's Peter's faith. Notice what happens to Peter. He has, I believe, this salvific moment. Notice what Peter does in verse 8. And when Peter saw it, he's not concerned about the boat sinking. He's not just jumping up and down because they caught a bunch of fish. But when he saw it, when his eyes were opened, when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And here's what he says. Depart from me, for I am sinful. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Notice he says, O Lord. He acknowledges Jesus is the Christ. But notice what he acknowledged. He acknowledged his bankruptcy. He he acknowledged the fact that he was born in sin, that he had a sin debt. And in the light of Christ and in the light of his glory of his miracle, when he realized that Jesus was the Christ, he could do nothing, nothing, but beg for mercy upon Jesus to do something in his life. That's when salvation meets us, isn't it? When we realize how wretched we really are, how good God really is. How deserving of hell we truly are, but yet how glorious God's offer of salvation in plucking us from the fire is. Peter did nothing to change his circumstance. Jesus brought him to the place. And when Jesus brought him to the place, he could do nothing but fall at his feet. And not, listen, the idiom that's given there, he's not telling Jesus to get away from him. He's calling on Jesus to do something for him. If you look at the idiom and you look at it in its original languages, he's not saying, Jesus, get away from me, I'm sinful. But he's begging Jesus to do something for him because he's wretched and he can't do anything for himself. That's, that's awesome. That's powerful. That's his faith. But his faith doesn't stop there. Notice as we move on in the text, his faith, his hesitation, but now notice his call. Jesus is bringing him to the point of salvation for a specific reason. Listen, we're not saved to sit. 
We're not saved to, to just enjoy coming to church and having barbecues and listening to sermons and good music. That's not why we're saved. Notice he says to him in verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so, it says in verse 10, And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, See, he's dealing with Simon. Simon, he says, do not be afraid. <laughs> Can you imagine there was this fear? This, this fear that fell on him, that, that wretchedness that you, you begin to understand how wretched you are. And sometimes there is this fear in the presence of God that he could just annihilate me and he would be right. He has this fear in his heart. And Jesus said, and by the way, it's not the word fear in reverence. It's not what he's saying. The word fear he used here is the word phobia. It is the word to fear. And he says, don't be afraid. See, things are changed now. He's converted. He's different. God's done a working in his heart. He's a different man. He says, don't be afraid. Don't, don't, don't be worried. And notice what he says. Don't be afraid, he says, from now on. You're going to catch more fish. No, you're going to catch men. From now on, you're going to be a, an apostle. You're going to be a disciple. You, you, you are going to be, you're going to be one who preaches the gospel to other people. You, you're going to go out to other men and other women and tell them of the glorious thing that you found right here on this boat. That's your responsibility. That's what I'm calling you to. And by the way, that's what he's calling us to. He is not calling us to sit and soak. He is not calling us to stay in a boat. He's calling us to get out. To get out and tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. The very thing that found us. The very Christ that converted us is the one that he wants preached to the world. To tell about that Jesus saves. Amen. That's what we ought to be doing. And that's what he calls Peter to do. Peter didn't choose to wake up one day and say, I think I'm going to be a follower of Jesus and think I'm going to be an apostle and preach a great sermon one day at Pentecost. No, that wasn't his plan. His plan was to be a fisherman all of his life, to run the family business. That was his plan. But he got changed, right? Jesus interrupted his life. I, I can remember when that happened to me, when I was called to be a pastor, I, I didn't plan on being a pastor when I grew up. I didn't plan on being a pastor when I joined the military. You know what I planned on being? A general. No, I'm just kidding. I, I knew I couldn't reach that level. <laughs> but I planned. You think so? You think you'd be a general one day? All right. All right. At least at the house. Amen. That's right. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> so, you know, here... Peter is interrupted by Jesus. His life is turned upside down for the, the cause of the gospel. Not just for his own salvation, but listen, but for the rest. Think about what Peter is going to become. And we'll talk more about that in the next week or two as we get to Peter's life. But I want you to see, lastly, though, that in his hesitation, his life gets changed and he comes to faith. And then he gets called into ministry. He gets called to serve God, which all of us had, listen, all of us are called to serve. All of us are called to fish for men. All of us are called to do that. If you don't believe that, just read Matthew 28. You'll find there. Acts 1.8, you'll find it there. So we're all called to be disciples that minister and reach other disciples. 
But notice lastly, verse 11, very, very significantly, it calls for surrender. Notice what verse 11. And so when they had brought their boats to land, that's Peter, James, who? John and Andrew. When they came to shore, notice what happened. They brought their boats to land and they forsook all and followed him. What was more important for Peter at that moment? It was being a follower of Jesus. Can you imagine how hard that must have been? Think about that for a minute. Leave what you know. Leave what your family has been doing for generations and follow me. And what does he do? He forsakes it all. He surrenders. Now, I use the word surrender because I don't want you to think, I don't want you to go out here today and have this misconception that what I'm telling you to do is quit your job and go into ministry. I'm, I'm not trying to tell you that. What I'm trying to tell you is that don't let your job be more important than the gospel. What I'm trying to tell you is surrender your job into the hand of Jesus and say, God, how can my job be a vehicle for the kingdom? It's a difference, isn't it? It's different on Monday morning when you wake up and you go to work and you got to go to the job, the J-O-B, right? You got to go to the job because you got to punch the time clock at 4 a.m. or 4.30 or 5, whatever time you have to be the flight line on in the morning. You know, it's easy to, to have to do that, right? Because the, the government says you have to be there. But it'd be a whole lot better if we'd say, you know what? I get to put on the uniform today and I get to go out there at 5 o'clock in the morning and I get to meet with students or I get to meet with this person or that person and I may have the opportunity today to influence them for Jesus Christ. You say, oh, I can't do that in the military. Well, I know the military has changed in the 20 years I've been gone, but I'm going to tell you, I'll never forget the day and the opportunity to share with a full bird colonel the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was my boss. He was a vice wing commander at the Air Force Station that I was at. And I had made a decision that God had called me into ministry. I surrendered to that and I was going to separate. And it came time for me to re-enlist. And so I had to go meet with him in his office and he began to talk to me about re-enlistment. And I said, sir, I'm not re-enlisting, I'm separating. And uh, he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? You know, and tried to talk me into staying and had the opportunity to tell him. So, well, sir, I'm feeling called. God's calling me to ministry and I'm going to leave the Air Force. I'm going to go serve God. And he just looked at me. Charles G. White Jr. is his name. And I said, sir, let me tell you why I'm doing it. And I got to tell him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did he get saved in his office? No, he didn't get saved, but he got the seed. Let me tell you, he got the seed. See, that's in my heart when I learned that going to work was not just about going to work. It was about the opportunities I had to share at work the love of Jesus. And whether I have the opportunity to, to physically, verbally plant seed or whether I can just be a light by the way I live before other people at work, it's about the kingdom. See, that's what I'm talking about this morning, friends. Uh, I'm talking about if we're going to be like Peter, we can't be satisfied with just being called. We can't be satisfied just being saved. We have to be the light. And that means total surrender to the Lordship of Christ whatever he may call you to. But one thing I do know, he's already called us to be evangelists, to, to tell other people about his love and his mercy. And let's take every opportunity 
that we can find to surrender to that so that we can be the people of God that he's called us to. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.